You're listening to Scaling Up Services, where we speak with entrepreneurs, authors, business experts, and thought leaders to give you the knowledge and insights you need to scale your service-based business faster and easier. And now, here is your host, business coach, Bruce Eckfeld. Are you a CEO looking to scale your company faster and easier? Check out Thrive Roundtable. Thrive combines a moderated peer group mastermind, expert one-on-one coaching, access to proven growth tools, and a 24-7 support community. Created by Inc. award-winning CEO and certified scaling-up business coach Bruce Eckfeldt, Thrive will help you grow your business more quickly and with less drama. For details on the program, visit Eckfeldt.com thrive. That's E-C-K-F-E-L-D-T dot com slash thrive. Welcome, everyone. This is Scaling Up Services. I'm Bruce Eckfeld. I'm your host. And our guest today is Jessica Rhodes, and she is founder and co-owner of Interview Connections. And we're going to talk a little bit about podcasting. We're going to talk about how to scale your business through thought leadership and getting your ideas out there into the market. With that, Jessica, welcome to the program. Hey, Bruce. Thanks so much for having me on your show today. So it's always fun to have someone else that's in the podcasting world on the podcast. But why don't we start with a little bit of your background? So before you got into this business, what were you doing? What was your professional background and what led to this business? So my professional background, I actually, before I became an entrepreneur and started my business, I was in nonprofit. So I was working at a nonprofit called Clean Water Action, directing their door-to-door field canvas. That was like my college job. And then I just kind of moved up the ranks in that organization. As I you know, graduated college, I became a director. So that was my background. I studied communication in college. So I, I remember I took one PR class. I took some media classes. So yeah. it kind of is convenient that I ended up having a business in this industry, but it wasn't necessarily the plan because when I, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> as it never is, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> when I, um, when I had been with the nonprofit for about six years, I was, you know, I had just gotten married. I got pregnant with my first child and you know, there's, there's a shift. If any, you know, if you have kids, like you get, there's like oh, yeah. a shift that happens and I wanted to be home. I didn't want to be working long hours and making not a lot of money mm-hmm. with a, with a new baby. So I left that job and my dad is an entrepreneur. He's a business coach. He has an online business. So he introduced me to the world of online business. And I started a virtual assistant company, which basically means I was a freelancer with about three clients. (laughs) (laughs) That was the, the, that was the very, very beginning. I I was working from home with my baby. And, um, as things were growing, one of the tasks, one of the services that I was providing to my clients was podcast booking. Um, it was something that my dad as one of my first clients wanted me to do for him. And then I started doing that for some other clients. And that's really around that time. And it's like early 2013, I kind of got bit by that entrepreneur bug. And I'm like, all right, I don't just want to be invoicing for the hours I'm working because then I just have a job. I want to really build a business. I want to scale a business. So, which is why I just, I love your show and and why I reached out to you is because I'm like, oh, I totally get this because I, I had and have a service business. And the question always is, how can I scale this? How can I make more money, but not just work more hours? Mm -hmm. Um, and that's, that was the shift again in starting my current business interview connections. I launched interview connections in fall of 2013. And uh, we've grown a lot since then. Yeah, congratulations. I mean, I think that it's it's a it's a, a fascinating and while every story is kind of unique, I, mean, I think the model or the the pattern, you know, I see again and again, which is 
you know, someone's doing a job or someone's providing some kind of service, and it's usually a generalized service that involves kind of many tasks and many facets, but they see some piece of it that they realize has some meat and has some ability to kind of grow. And the question is, how do they do that? And how do they make that into something that they can kind of do exclusively or more focused and, and create a business around it? So, you know, I think it's a great way to start a service company. And, and you know, services are kind of that, have that cutting edge or that double-edged sword to them where they're, they're kind of easy to start. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> it's easy yeah. to kind of hang up a shingle, put together an LLC and say that you're going to focus on this thing, but they can be kind of tougher to build. Yes. And, so, and oftentimes because it's, you know, you now have to find people and you kind of have to staff up. I mean, I guess how how narrowly or how how did you go about kind of figuring out that this, you know, booking service was going to be something that you can scale? And what have you learned about how narrow or wide that is or, or what types of booking you do or what times you what kind of booking you don't do? I mean, how have you defined that service as you kind of have grown the company? Yeah. So being really um, like really niching down and being specific about what we do and what we don't do has definitely been one of the big keys to our success because there's so many things that we can do. And over the years, people always say like, why don't you do this? It's so similar. But I think the more like the more you dilute a service business, the the harder it is to really market it and know who your ideal client is and really optimize and increase the quality of the service. So we started the business actually serving just podcast hosts. So podcasters hired us to find their guests. And ah, you know, at the time, like I, I remember the first program was like the book it and promote it. We would find your guests, schedule them. We would create a graphic so they could, they could share it. Like there was this whole bunch of stuff. And over the years, we kind of just, um, as we scaled up, we kind of simplified the service. So we added in a service where we get people booked on other shows. And that's actually our core service now, based on just the demand <laughs> in the marketplace, yeah. more people want to be booked on other shows as a guest podcast hosts don't have as much trouble finding yeah. guests because you probably have so many people coming to yeah, you exactly. to be on your show. You don't really need to pay someone to find people. Um, unless of course, like we have some clients who interview really unique people that aren't pitching them. So we help them find those yeah. interesting, unique types of guests. But, but yeah, that. so we kind of shifted as the industry grew and evolved. We, we kind of changed our model to really focus more on getting people booked on other shows. And for a while we would help with scheduling the recording. And we made a, a shift a couple of years ago where we said, okay, we're not going to actually schedule the recording. Once we have the booking, we hand it off to the client because then we turn into a, an assistant. Then we turn into an executive <laughs> assistant, which yeah. is not the service that we specialize in. We specialize in, you know, finding podcasts, pitching podcasts. That's totally different from managing someone's schedule. So that was a, that was a key thing that we did in order to scale is know what we're good at and what we're not good at. (laughs) Yeah. Well, and and I think that's a a great example. And it's something I'm always, (laughs) always telling clients that I'm working with in terms of how to scale the business is the faster you want to scale, the more you need to focus, like the more narrow Mm -hmm. and specific you need to make because it has to do with you know, how well you can market it, how well you can sell it, how well you can operationalize it, you know, the, the mm-hmm. talent that you need to develop, the training, the manuals, like the more niche you are, the easier all that stuff is. But it's, I think it's, I don't know if it's counterintuitive. It's it's certainly, it's difficult for an earlier stage company to say no to a lot of things. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I guess, what did you, you know, in kind of retrospect and, and reflecting back on this, what were some of the challenges or, or what are some examples of things that you, it was difficult to say no to in the beginning uh, and, 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 you know, what was it about? Was it about money or, or, you know, is kind of what you thought you were doing. And, and once mm-hmm. you said no to it, you know, what did it allow you to do? Yeah. So it's funny. Cause I'm, I'm remembering like 
years ago, I would have on the website, this like long list of, um, you know, like the comparison check marks, which are great for like, you know, SaaS businesses, like here are all the features of these different levels. And I remember having that, like if you get this level and I would list like as many possible (laughs) things just to make it look like a lot of food ordered and delivered to your show. If you're hungry, (laughs) (laughs) you know, because I thought that people wanted more stuff and the more, like the more ways I could explain, like, we're going to do all this stuff. And what I, I, you know, to answer your question, what I had to say no to was just cutting out a lot of that stuff and really just saying yes to the one service that we do and that we excel at, which is connecting people for interviews, finding the right shows, doing that strategy work in the beginning. And so then, you know, kind of more recently within the last year or so, people would ask us to, will you schedule my recordings or Mm -hmm. will you create my landing page? Like, no, we're not an executive assistant. No, we're not a website design company. So saying no to that stuff, it is a little scary because you think, well, somebody wants to pay me for this, but ultimately like that's not what we do. So by saying no to that, it opens up the door because the time, and we kind of did this evaluation with our coach, we looked at, okay, how, even if we could charge somebody way yeah. more money to schedule the recordings, that time is taken away from maybe five clients that would pay just as much for the bookings. Cause that's what they actually want. That's yeah. what our ideal client actually wants. Yeah. Yeah. And that's a good one. I think if it's a, if you look at it as a local optimization, if you look at it as a, oh, well, well, I could just do this one more service for this client, it's tough to see it. But if you realize that I only have so much time and energy where do, where am I best applying this? Mm-hmm. Uh, that that it, it comes becomes easier to kind of see the the rationale for focusing on the thing that you're great at and the thing that you can make you, you can excel at to make even more money on. Um, mm-hmm. You know, yeah, and if you're chasing if you're chasing the next dollar, it's hard. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. um, so in terms of, I mean, it sounds like you made a couple shift over this time period. Were those uh, easy hard decisions? I mean, I guess uh, I mean uh, I find a lot of these kind of strategic pivots and, and things end up being kind of logical and obvious in retrospect, mm-hmm. <laughs> but, but oh, totally. you know, at the time, what, I guess, what was the, when, when did you first sort of see opportunities for kind of shifting some of these things? Mm-hmm. And then like, what was the, what was the decision-making process like around that? Yeah. I mean, so yes, they were definitely difficult decisions to make different, choi- difficult choices to make. In retrospect, it's like, oh, okay, it's easy. And they get easier as we go because the longer we're in business, the more success we have, the less those individual choices and decisions seem like such yeah. a big deal. Yeah. And that's something like our mastermind group has really helped us with. Just little choices where like we agonize over and they're like, this isn't a big deal just to decide and move on. And so we've yeah. gotten a lot better at it. But they, you know, especially like in the first five years, which we're going into year six, these decisions are difficult because you're like, is this going to make or break my business? Like, especially when you have have what seems to be a really great client say, Hey, I want you to do this. I want to work with you. If you can do this, it's like, Oh good. You know, like you don't want to turn away business, but then you look, you turn around and you, then you have like twice as many people over here saying, Oh no, I don't need all that stuff. I just need this. Mm So yes, they are difficult decisions in the moment, but in hindsight, it just reassures you. Like you have to go with your gut and really just like exactly know what your service is best at, know what your company is best at and really, really focus on that. Yeah. And I think it is as you get bigger, uh, as you grow, as you become more successful, 
I mean, you've made more and more decisions. I think it's, it's, you can see it, but you see it easier. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, it's like yeah. oh, I'm in one of those situations again. I see what I should exactly. do. Um, yeah. you know, it's not the first time that you're kind of facing that. So you mentioned a couple of things uh, in there that I wanted to kind of hear how they came about or, or how you chose to do them. So you, you mentioned a coach, you mentioned mastermind groups. Mm-hmm. Um, what are some of these kind of external programs, structures? I mean, I think a lot of, a lot of people who found companies are kind of find themselves, you know, in a service, owning a service-based business, run a service-based business. They're very internally focused. Um, mm-hmm. How how have you, or I guess, what have you investigated in terms of uh, ways in which to help yourself grow and be strategic and work on the business, not in the business? What, yeah. what has worked for you? What hasn't worked for you? How, what have you, what have you experienced? Yeah. So, I mean, definitely getting out of the business as much as possible as yeah, literally as much as you can yeah. has been super key for us. So for the first several years, we definitely went to a lot of industry conferences just mm-hmm. to you know, just to build the exposure and to let people know what we do, because, you know, this is a new industry. Podcasting is a new industry. We were the first podcast booking agency. So literally for the first couple of years, we didn't have any competitors. So we were just making sure people knew about us. And then once that caught on, once more people started starting businesses like this, the word started spreading, more people are finding us on Google. So now we're thinking, okay, now it's not just about exposure, but it's about how can we optimize and stand apart and make our service unique. So it doesn't just look like, so we don't just are, you know, we're not commoditized and people don't just like price shop around. Uh So then we started to get outside of our industry and I joined uh, my business partner and I, we joined Allie Brown's premier group, which is a group of women, female entrepreneurs. Mm -hmm. The average revenue in the group is well over seven figures and from all different industries. So in the group, we're the only people in the group, like in the podcasting industry, you know, there's people Uh, in all different industries. And so it's super valuable to get insight and coaching and advice from people in successful businesses outside of our industry. So that has been really, really important. Let's just chat about that one a, a second, because I think that's that's something that comes up a lot. I see a lot of, uh, you know, leaders, uh, you know, founders, entrepreneurs who are um, kind of figuring out how to get insight. And and so say they're a, a managed service provider and, you know, they want to go network with the managed service provider that is, you know, twice as big as they are now or 10 times as big mm-hmm. as they are now because they feel like that's going to be the best source of information. Mm-hmm. And and I do find that there is a lot of insight to be developed and gained from people that are in other industries. Uh, mm-hmm. And I so I guess what what are some of the ahas that you've had in terms of masterminding with folks that are in, not in your immediate industry and what's kind of the perspective or what are some of the takeaways that you've been able to get from those folks? So one of the biggest things has been by, by getting outside of our industry, it really reminds me how stuff that seems really obvious to me is not obvious to people who (laughs) are in my industry, you know, like, and people will just say like, well, I don't know. I'm trying to think of like something simple. Like, how do I know like how many downloads I have? Like something that if you're literally in the podcasting industry, you have a podcast, you do this all day long. You like, you would never think to write a blog post about that. Cause you're like, this is so basic. But (laughs) then I remember (laughs) I get in the room of really successful people. They're just not in my industry. And I remember, Oh, what's so obvious and basic to me is actually really high value information to this person over here who would be a fantastic client. So that is really probably 
one of the most valuable aspects of masterminding with people outside my industry is just getting in the mindsets and the heads of ideal clients for me, but not necessarily people in the same kind of business. Yeah, that, that's a good one. Cause I think we do get, we get very in our own soup. Uh, mm-hmm. And if we, you know, if we're, if we're in that for too long, uh, that becomes the norm and we forget what the, what the rest of the world is like. Oh, uh, totally. The other thing is branding too. Okay. Because <laughs> this was something that our, our coach Allie really helped us with is when I started working with her about two or three years ago, she helped me rebrand and really attract a higher, higher level, like clientele, um, yeah. business owners that are doing, you know, over seven figures. And it's just as simple as how I'm communicating what I'm doing, literally like the, the colors and the fonts of the logo, how the website looks, all of that stuff was not, I wasn't really thinking about it. I was doing the mm-hmm. service. I was operating the business mm-hmm. and just having her go to the website and kind of give me her first reactions and like how things looked and how things were communicated really, really helped because, you know, you look around in your industry and everyone kind of looks the same. So you think, oh, well, I'm, I'm kind of in line with everyone else, <laughs> yeah, exactly. but that's the problem. You're yeah. in line with everyone else. <laughs> so now like literally I've had so many people that say, oh, your website just stood out. It was so different. You know, so again, getting someone outside the industry at a higher level, look at it and kind of help you differentiate is so important and and has been so valuable. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a, uh, a big one is if we get, we start comparing ourselves to the competitors rather than thinking about what is, what is our target? What is our prospect seeing and and what Mm -hmm. impact do we want to make on them? And and sometimes we want to be different. I mean, sometimes we kind of, we want to make sure that we're positioned, right? So they understand a certain product or service, but we also need to differentiate from the, from our competitors so that the customer gets why they should hire us or what kind of customer should hire us. Good. I'm guessing within that kind of learning too, particularly as you're going to hire value customers, that there was some uh, pricing uh, factors in there. Um, (laughs) Tell, tell me a little bit about pricing, how you kind of approach mm-hmm. pricing, how you've changed your thinking around pricing, you know, both mm-hmm. kind of mechanically and also from a mindset point of view. Like what, what, was, yeah. the, what was the evolution there? Oh my gosh. So when we first... <laughs> <laughs> always an issue. This is why I always know this one's going to come up. I know. It's good. So for, for several years, it was all month to month pricing. And, you know, the prices went up. I, when I first started, our prices were like, you know, $47 a month, 77. We had a couple different levels and then just kind of continued to go up. Okay. Then we were 197 a month, 297, like every hundred bucks, um, we would, we would raise our prices and it really reached a point where we would just have to sign on so many new monthly clients to continue to scale and grow. So we, we made a shift about a year or so ago, maybe a year and a half ago, we focused more on selling packages. So instead of signing on monthly retainers, monthly packages, we sold packages of bookings. So, you know, we're a podcast booking agency Mm -hmm. for a long time. People would pay, you know, a certain amount per month for a certain number of bookings per month. Then we kind of shifted to selling like 15 bookings for X amount or 24 or 30 bookings. So people would invest in a whole package Mm. and the mindset, I mean, number one, cash wise, it was, it's been a lot better to get like five, eight, $10,000 per sale than 497, 997. So that's number one. That is really great for cash flow wise. But the mindset shift was we were now signing up clients 
that were prepared to commit to the strategy for 15 bookings, which ends up being four to five months. So we were attracting people who were just more confident in the strategy. They were people that were ready to commit because so many people that signed up for a month to month were like, their mindset is I'm going to try this for a month or two and see if I like it. And yeah, I mean, you can do a really great job and have people stay for a long time, but it was just rolling the dice every time. So now you, you know, we sign up you know, when you raise your prices like that and you then focus on selling $5,000 plus packages, you're going to close less deals because not as many people are going to pay mm-hmm. that. But the quality of the client has exactly. skyrocketed. Like yeah. we are working with multi seven and eight figure companies, people that they still look at the price of $5,000. Like, Oh yeah, that's like a drop in the bucket. I'm yeah. like, yeah, that's the kind of client. You <laughs> yeah. You want to be a drop in the bucket. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So that's been a big shift. And then even just recently, just a few months ago, we took the monthly option off the rate card and I'll, I'll, you know, I might offer it to someone by invitation if it, if it seems like it's really what they need, but changing that has been really important for our business. Well, that's a good one because I think that a lot of people uh, get, get worried when we talk about target customer or pricing, where we say, this is what we're going to go out with, or this is what we're going to focus on. They say, oh, well, but that's going to, you know, that's going to really filter down my prospect pool or that's going to really limit the number of people I can work with. That's good mm-hmm. in that we're going to, we're really going to concentrate your focused customer. But the other thing is you can always offer it to other people. I mean, it doesn't mean yeah. that we're not going to do business with someone who's not in that target customer. It just means from a strategy and a mindset and a messaging point of view, that's what we want to mm-hmm. focus on. And we'll have some peripheral business around that and we can oh, take exactly. it. But the more that we can concentrate, the better. I think so many people end up just chasing money, you know, just any any customer they can get that's willing to buy something, you mm-hmm. know, ends up ends up diluting them up and it makes it more difficult to, to scale the business. Oh, yeah. Good. So we talked about pricing a little bit. I guess what else have you learned in terms of thinking strategically about the business rather than working in the business? What are either sort of tools or strategies, techniques that you've used to help really kind of think about how you're how you're approaching the business and what you can do better in terms of being able to grow and scale it? Yeah. So a big thing that we haven't talked about yet is just the the team structure. So this was a really big shift when when I started the business for the first several years, I grew a team of virtual contractors. Uh-huh. I mean, I was at home with a baby, so I couldn't imagine in the first couple of years having employees. But as we grew in 2017, I made the shift to I got rid of all of our virtual contractors and I started hiring in-house employees, got an office, like was all on site. And so we are we're currently a team of 12 on-site employees. And as we grew the team, creating different positions. So within the business, we have people specialized and focused on certain responsibilities. So, you know, we've got our booking agents. We have a full-time employee who does all the show research, finding the shows. We have a manager who can really help us with the on-site like team stuff. And I brought on a business partner. I kind of like glossed over that, but (laughs) I started the business on my own. And uh, in 2018, Mm -hmm. uh, my first employee became co-owner. And so then she, you know, she's chief of operations. I do all the sales and the marketing. And then we have a team, a manager. And so by building the team and having different people in leadership really spearhead certain parts of the business, that has been really, really critical because I think when you 
you, you know, dilute any one person's role yeah. too much. And this is advice that we got from somebody at our mastermind group, Kelly Roach. She's an expert in team stuff. And we were starting to actually have our manager do a lot of different things. Cause we were like, this is yeah. great. We got somebody in leadership. We're going to have him do all this stuff. And she's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Like you don't want to dilute your manager too much. And I think that can be said for any person that you have in your staff. If you dilute someone too much, they can't focus and really excel at the thing that they're best at. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's, and it's, it's one of the dynamics that happens as a company scales is that people become, you know, more and more specialized and the roles become more specialized. The processes become more kind of defined, I guess for you as, uh, you know, someone who went from kind of starting the company and kind of doing it all to now pretty focused in their role. I mean, even at the leadership level, you know, now sort of dividing up the operations from sales, but I guess, how did you go about figuring out what you wanted to do, what parts you're best at, what you were kind of excited and energized by, how did, you know, finding the people to kind of take over those pieces, how did, you know, that process of actually handing over. Tell us a little bit about how that's worked for you personally. Yeah. Well, I wish I could say there was always a clear <laughs> system in place. <laughs> I had this plan and I just executed the plan perfectly. <laughs> so it's interesting. A lot of it, you know, um, I'll talk, you know, first about having a manager because when yeah. we hired a manager, that was a really big step to hire an employee, a full-time employee who doesn't actually do any booking work. <laughs> We're like, oh yeah. my gosh, like that was a, that was an investment in adding somebody to the leadership team just to over, oversee everything and, and help us there. Yeah. So we kind of, uh, kind of shot and then misfired a couple times sure. with that. So a couple of years ago, we did hire a manager and mm -hmm. our, our idea was, okay, she was going to have a full booking load and she was going to manage. Again, made the mistake of we diluted her way too much and didn't really know what we needed at the time. So, I mean, that was the first thing is we, we hired a manager way too soon and mm -hmm. realized, oh gosh, we don't need this. We can actually empower a lot of our current employees to take on some more responsibility, pay them a little bit more, and we don't need a full employee to do all this stuff. But then we got to a point where or it was time. The other thing, advice that we got from our coach was she said, just keep your eye out because when you find the perfect person, you're going to want to find a place for them. Yeah. And so we interviewed Matt, our manager. We interviewed him a couple years ago. It was May, I guess, 2018. Mm -hmm. And he was great. And we offered him the job and he actually, he accepted and then he didn't accept because he goes, you know what? <laughs> Unaccepted. I, <laughs> he, he's, because he was, he had been in a job for a really long time, was super loyal. He goes, I don't want to leave them high and dry. I need to replace myself. And we're like, oh my gosh, he's so loyal. We're uh, like, now we want to no, you more. more. <laughs> we were like, he's so perfect. We that, now, you, more. now you need to put him in sales. So we, <laughs> So we kept in touch with him, you know, yeah. and we, cause, and we kept interviewing for other positions and he, we just kept thinking like he was such a great candidate and we really see him here. So we kept in touch with him and later that fall, I just reached out. I'm like, Hey, let's have a cup of coffee. Let's check in about where you're at. Cause I know he was still looking for a career change and just the timing worked out. So that was really, really critical is like keeping an eye on people that candidates that you interview who are really good fit. And it's just like buyers buy your service when they're ready to, not yeah. when you want them to. Yeah. And <laughs> yeah. the right job applicants will come on board when the time is right. Not necessarily always when you want them to, or when they, you know, they might want to be hired when you're not hiring. So by keeping in touch with Matt, 
it worked out really well. And then he he ended up coming on board in December and it was just, there were a couple things happening. We had an interesting project opportunity that came to us that we said, okay, if we bring Matt on, we'll have the bandwidth to do this. So anyway, yeah, that's sort of the, the long well, story. It's a, and it's long- a good, uh, I think, takeaway for folks. And this is something I tell all of my kind of senior leaders is that they need to have a, a list of people that they would like to hire. And, you know, always be searching for talent and always having, you know, ideas for people who would make good fits in the organization before they need the people. <laughs> because if they if you start looking for talent when you need the talent, you know, that's painful and it takes months or you're having to pay recruiters lots of money. So always be on the lookout for, um, you know, people who are a good cultural fit, who have yeah. skills that you know you're going to need in the coming months and years. And then you can go to them. And when you have the open position, when you actually have the need, you can reach out to the, you know, hopefully half a dozen, dozen people mm-hmm. who you've been kind of thinking about and hopefully one or two of them will actually be available at that time or be interested at that time because it is it's a it's a timing issue oh absolutely and the other thing that i i love to do is always having a current organizational chart and an organizational chart for six months out and a year out because we always want to just see how is that spider web going to keep growing you know right now we have margie and i we have matt we have our booking agents and and we're looking at okay we'll create a team lead position and we're just looking at how it will grow so that way when all of a sudden everyone's plates are super full and we don't have bandwidth and everyone's super busy. We have a plan in place to how we're going to expand. What roles are we going to create? So I find that stuff super fun is to like, look at, okay, what is the business going to look like in a year yeah. from now? And not just be surprised by it, but have a plan on how to get there. That's great. I actually have an article coming out on Inc on, on this. I call it the, why every organization should have two org charts Ooh, uh, and it's the current one. <laughs> yeah. Well, I don't, I don't, I'll, I'll figure out when the published date is, but yes, yeah, why every organization should have the current one, which is the map to the, to everyone in terms of who is responsible for what and yeah. who is, you know, what the coordination points are and stuff. And then the one that I'm working towards, which is the the next level of the organization that I've designed that I'm building towards and making sort of strategic moves and finding the right talent. Um, yeah, so kudos. That- I think that's a great, that's a great concept to have in mind as you're building the organization. I love that. Yeah. And, and that's something that, you know, we're having Matt focus on being a manager. And so we're looking at, okay, when are, are we, when are we going to bring on a salesperson? So that's like another exciting thing is like just looking at exactly. the different positions that you're going to create. It's as you can see, we geek out about this stuff. This it's is fun. Well, it's, and it's future focus work. I mean, you're, you're creating things. I mean, that's the, that's a fun part of being an entrepreneur. I actually remember being on an airplane cause I was at a conference when I decided to have employees. And I just uh-huh. remember being on an airplane, like flying home or flying to a conference and writing out my organizational chart. And I remember being like, I am literally creating jobs right now. Like, yeah. Yeah. This is pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. You know, the, and the one thing about airplanes now that I find disappointing is now we have Wi-Fi in airplanes, yeah, and yeah. I, I don't have the time to think. You know, now exactly. now people actually expect me to respond I'm to like, emails. How soon can we get the Wi-Fi? Oh, yeah. Can we have Wi-Fi pl- problems, please? Can you like turn it off so I could explain to people that I couldn't have Wi-Fi? Yeah. Uh, so it, let's talk a little bit about your business and the customers. Do you have who are you focused on at this point, and and what are the services you're providing them? Mm-hmm. So we have a few main kinds of clients that we work best with. Coaches and consultants are great for us. Service business owners, so digital agency owners are fantastic. And then real estate investor slash real estate investor coaches. Those are sort of our main three kinds of clients that we work with. Mm -hmm. And we book them for interviews on leading podcasts in their niche. It's a great way for them to get exposure for what they do and to, like we said before, differentiate themselves from 
their competitors? Because with a service business, a lot of times people, um, you know, your, your prospective clients will start to commoditize you. They'll just like review all the different websites, see if they like, but when they hear a podcast interview with the founder, the CEO, the yeah. chief marketing officer, it will immediately set you apart and people will feel drawn to you. They'll feel like they have a closer connection to your company and what you do. And so it really sells high end clients a lot easier. Yeah. yeah. And, and we know you don't actually provide the scheduling. <laughs> but, <laughs> you will schedule your own interviews, but we will find the shows, connect you with the hosts and take all of that work off. And then you can find the, the time on your calendar. Exactly. And a lot of our clients, like I said, we're working with multi seven figure businesses. They already have yeah. assistants. Yeah. So <laughs> there are people in place to, to figure yeah, that exactly. stuff out. Awesome. And if people want to find out more about the services and about you, what's the best place to get that information? Sure. Interviewconnections.com um, is where you can learn more about us. We have a blog. And if you're thinking about doing this, you, you can fill out a form. We can hop on a no pressure call to just learn more about what you do. And yeah, again, that's at interviewconnections.com. Great. Thank you. I will make sure that those are in the, the URL is in the show notes so people can click through and get that information. Jessica, this has been a pleasure. Thank you for taking the time. Thanks, Bruce. It was super fun. You've been listening to Scaling Up Services with business coach Bruce Eckfeldt. To find a full list of podcast episodes, download the tools and worksheets, and access other great content, visit the website at scalingupservices.com. And don't forget to sign up for the free newsletter at scalingupservices.com slash newsletter. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.